Google is trying to come to the rescue, reportedly arguing that cutting Huawei off from Android threatens U.S. security. Someone's going to bat now. You know, when the news first broke about the ban, Trump, the whole trade war and whatnot, everybody bailed. They followed the protocol. They said, okay, fine. You know, we can't do business. Fine. We're going to wait and see. But now, Google, surprisingly, maybe not so surprisingly, coming out publicly, speaking on Huawei's behalf and coming up with a reason or at least a case that they can make for why this ban might be actually bad, might be actually worse for people's security, particularly U.S. citizens and so forth. So here's how the argument goes, Will. Here's what they're saying. That if Google is banned from providing their operating system to Huawei, it's not going to stop Huawei from selling smartphones. And what they're likely to do is to, to do this forked version of Android. They would do this uh, knockoff, something based on the open source version of Android, but then with their own app store and their own no play services and, and whatnot. And what that means is that people will be installing apps that Google couldn't check for malware, viruses, and the rest of it. And, it, you know, they might get, be getting these apps from unknown sources. So what do you end up with if you have more people in the world, whether they're in the U.S. or not, who are running potentially hackable, less secure devices, is that even U.S. information that travels to those devices through global communication could be more susceptible. So Google has been arguing that by stopping from dealing with Huawei, the U.S. risks creating two kinds of Android operating systems. Keep in mind, there's millions of Huawei devices out there. So tomorrow, if they flip the switch, roll out this update with this new version of Android, immediately you now have a segmented Android marketplace. Yeah. The genuine version and the hybrid one. The hybrid one is likely to have more bugs than the Google one, and so could put Huawei phones at more risk of being hacked. And, and that's not just by China, but like by anybody. Because all of a sudden you no longer have the security associated with the most ubiquitous operating system, which happens to be Android globally. So it's an interesting angle to take. I'm sure that they've been, they've probably been in the boardroom. You know, they've probably been sitting around. They've probably been you know, with the legal team. What, what angle can we take? How can we make this argument? How can we take it to Washington? How can we convince the people we need to convince to keep this thing rolling? Now, you could read this another way and say, hey, they're just looking out for themselves. Right? What happens to these millions of devices if play services are gone? If the store is gone? Right? All of a sudden, those, those devices become less connected to the actual money-making components of Google's, uh, of, of, of Google's uh, product offerings. So they're going to become like a monopoly. Who? Google. Well, I mean... There's a, you could make the argument that they already are. Mm -hmm. But no company seems to mind that until it becomes a problem, until they're, until they're in court for it. Up until that point, it seems to be what, they, what companies of this scale try to do. But if, if Huawei flips this switch tomorrow, they're not making a dime off those 
millions of installs that used to belong to them to some degree, at least in Western markets where Google does do business, where Google search exists and Gmail is the prevailing email client and where people watch YouTube and use Google Drive and pay extra for the premium, you know, all the money-making endeavors that Google's involved in. If you eliminate the top tier official version of Android, you eliminate all those money-making pieces as well. And so that's not going to work so well for them long-term, especially if that OS picks up steam and is actually half decent. That could be a problem for them. So there's two ways to read this. It's either Google's coming to the rescue, like, hey, open marketplace. Let's, uh, let's get things back on the rails. Let's let Huawei back in. Or it's self-serving. Or it's just, hey, if Huawei's the first company, even if it's through force, to go out and make this alternative version, if it gets the world comfortable with the idea of some alternative OS, that could open the gates, could let other people in, and we could lose some of our grip. So there's the two ways you can look at this. Nonetheless, at least somebody's making a case. Like, at least there's a conversation happening now about what this alternative universe looks like in which these devices sort of go rogue. It's definitely not all upside to have the world segmented from a technological perspective. To get half the world communicating in one way and the other half doing something else. You want, like I've said previously, access and choice to be the driving force. And if that can't happen, or if this ban remains in place, they're going to be forced to do these kind of... They're, they're going to be forced to take these alternative paths, which, as mentioned in this story here, could have some, some unintended consequences of making a lot of our communications, global communications, millions of communications, potentially less secure. But also just creating two silos of existence. Technology becoming the predominant way in which we interface with the world, how we do business, how we communicate with loved ones, how we interface with our reality. And so you create these two silos, you create these two realities. And if you, if you govern those silos by force, you can create two really different realities in which the ability for those parties to come back together and interface at a later date becomes harder to imagine. So it hasn't typically traditionally been the American way as we know it to create these silos like this, these exclusivities and so forth. So the conversation has to happen. It's very complicated as we've stated in the past, but we do have officially on paper, we have Google going to bat for Huawei making the case they're not alone and for the record uh, officials from Huawei seem to be quite happy about it uh, I was reading this uh, article on NPR Huawei chairman hopeful Google can influence U.S. officials he says some very positive things in an interview this week uh, that chairman is Liang Hua and he says Google is a very responsible company we have maintained very good cooperation with each other, Liang said through a translator at Huawei headquarters in Shenzhen. We recently 
look forward to productive results from the communication that Google is currently having with the commerce department. So they're obviously working together. They're communicating. Things seem good between the two of them. Uh, Huawei chairman also says, I'm willing to sign a no-spy deal with the United States, as you see on the right-hand side separate article. They're trying to work it out. There's got to be a way. There's got to be some sort of a way to do it. I don't know how. It's complicated, Will. You got a lot of people on either side. The fists are up, you know? The tussle's already going. Who backs down? Who compromises? You got to remember, side note, last thing on the topic. Google actually engaged with Huawei in a Nexus device previously. Do you remember the Nexus 6P? Maybe you could bring it up on screen. Oh, yeah. I had it. It actually, actually, that device had some problems as well. But there was a moment in time where Huawei, in their early stages, before they were the global brand to the same scale that they are right now, where Google reached out and said, hey, how about you do the hardware for a Nexus device? And at the time, that was typically a Korean company. It would have been Samsung or LG that would have, would have been making the Nexus device, which was the closest thing at the time to a Google-branded device. So they've worked together in the past from a hardware perspective, not just a software perspective. And like I said, whichever way you want to slice it, whether you want to say that uh, Google's just being helpful here or that they're in it for personal gain and protection, either way, I think this conversation has to be happening. Now, on that same note, similar note, Lenovo is taking some heat in China right now on the flip side. Because of this trade stuff, because of the situation with Huawei and other brands and companies and Trump and the rest of it, uh, consumers in China are paying close attention to the behavior of brands and where they stand on matters, particularly how patriotic they are. And Lenovo recently, they changed their name on Chinese social media. Not a big change. Like for me, it doesn't, it doesn't stand out as that big of a deal, but apparently to the locals, they read into it. They quietly changed their name to Lenovo China on uh, the major social media platform in China, Weibo. And this happened on May 31st. It triggered a heated debate about the company's patriotism during an ongoing trade war in the U.S. So there's been a couple things accumulating specifically with Lenovo. Lenovo has a weird history because, of course, they bought the ThinkPad brand from IBM, an American company, once upon a time. And they still maintain ThinkPad on the products, on their laptop products. And a lot of the, the ID, a lot of the origin of that product still exists in this product here. So the interconnectivity there between like the global component of this brand is just sort of baked into its origin story. Now, I guess previously it was named Lenovo, uh, no, China's Lenovo or something like this, or maybe just Lenovo. Because if you read some of the comments from other uh, people on social media that, weren't, uh, that were unhappy, the article here via South China Morning Post. Uh, where's the comment here? Trending. Let everyone know Lenovo is a patriotic company. Wait, not that. Where is it, Will? There's a comment here. 
Lenovo China and the and China's Lenovo is not the That's same. That's the comment I'm looking for. Willie Do to the rescue. We were almost uh, we almost had to call it a day there. We almost had to just close up shop. Jack had beads of sweat coming down. You know, it's been a long day. He's been in a mood all day. And uh, there's not much we can do about it. I mean, he could probably use a refreshing beverage. Guy like Jack on a Friday. Got the big game coming up, you know? But we got problems to solve first, Jack, all right? We got to get to the bottom of this one. So we'll get to those beers. It'll happen. So Lenovo China and China's Lenovo is not the same. That's the top comment on this Weibo situation here. And then uh, another comment read, it is only normal for a foreign company to add China by behind its name. So in other words, if you put the China at the end of the social media name, it implies the brand is global and this is only the China department. In other words, it's less localized. You see this happen on social media even here, right? Like we're in Canada, so you'll see like, there'll be like a Canadian tag for a particular brand, which is global, even though they're not headquartered in Canada. Their social media in Canada will have Canada at the end. So what they're saying is if you're from China, if China's your important market, if you're patriotic, why do you have to put the China at the end? And so there's other stuff associated with the story. It's not the first time. If you feel like people are overreacting, yeah, Huawei device USA. I mean, this kind of stuff happens all the time, right? It's all over social media. But but the uh, appar apparently there have been comments made in the past from the chairman of Lenovo he said stuff like, hey, we could, uh, if the trade war continues, we could move some of our production outside of China. He said something like this at a public event. Uh, he also said at some point, we're not a Chinese company, we're a global company. He used that terminology. So, I mean, honestly, Will, it's all unfortunate, this kind of talk. I, I am a big fan of Lenovo products. Honestly, I don't even see a great substitute for this laptop that I'm using. Like, that's how much I like it. I don't even really have a plan B right now. Like, I just really like this laptop. You, you want to go back to the MacBook? No, I'm not going back to the MacBook. How dare you, by the way. I got this keyboard. I'm, I, it's, the, it's a different experience. I'm on Windows now. Uh, it's a... The, the, the weight... The screen ratio of this laptop, the X1 Carbon, is bananas. Like 2.4, 2.5, 2.4 pounds, some of these, and a 14-inch screen. What would I be looking at? I'd be looking at a MacBook Air, which is a 13-inch screen, and three pounds. It's half a pound heavier, you know? So everyone who picks this up is like, wow, that's light. Of course, we're going to get the Lenovo uh, folding screen laptop folding display laptop coming in here shortly as well. So, uh, yeah, so it's unfortunate. I see the point. Of course, they're a global company. Uh, every, I mean, a lot of companies do this regional stuff. I'm not sure I would read into it myself, but again, I'm not in the local landscape. I'm not on Weibo. I don't, you know, maybe, maybe this is a thing that, that people look out for there. And maybe that's why people get upset. But for the record, people get upset online, you know, for less than this. We've been, we've been in that situation before. You know, not everybody's going to love your comment, your name change, your 
what you say in a video. And, and so maybe there's a piece of it that's that. But let's get back to the global perspective, Will. Let's get back to the place where, you know, the trade just flows. Mm. Just, just flows. Technology loves that, right? That's how, that's how innovation takes place. And I feel like I got to keep reminding people, like, just check your pocket. Check your pocket right now. Look at the smartphone you have. Tell me where it came from. Tell me how many countries were involved in the elements and how many human beings, man. Because, Will, I told you before, uh, we traveled there. You know, we traveled to the production facility. We saw the human beings that put these things together for us with incredible focus. And I'm a man of appreciation. I can point it out when it happens. A lot of people want to talk a big game like, oh, every, we, can, we can just move this production anywhere in the world. Like as if the skill set, as if the execution, as if the complexity is something that just maps to any country, anywhere, to any facility, anywhere. I'm telling you through my personal exposure... And through my perspective, beginning with, the, with appreciation, it's a lot that goes into it. So stare down at your smartphone. I don't care what it is, even if it's an iPhone, came from Foxconn. All right? So somewhere around the world, a lot of people, they had their hands on that product. They worked on that product. And the materials inside of it, they came from all over the place too. So this little trade war right now, you may be on the side of it, which is like, hey, doing what they got to do, bringing jobs back, whatever angle you want to play that, that could be where you could see a positive angle for it, it's still temporary. Eventually, as proven through this marketplace, the best things get better when more people have access and when more people are able to participate in the game. It's, that's just the way it goes. All right, that's the way it has gone. Presumably, it's the way it continues to go. So we got to be careful playing with these situations. You got to be careful about it. That's all. Speaking of that, how about this? Your legal right to broadband will start next March. Well, not you, Will. You got no legal right. You got no right whatsoever. But if you were in the UK, you will have a legal right to 10 megabit per second broadband, and it starts in March. And uh, this is posted on the inquirer.net. And so they've got, a, they've got a governing body trying to increase access to broadband, even in the far reaches of the UK, so that everybody has at least decent internet. Now, I know a lot of you, depending on where you're located, you're like 10 megabit, can't even 10 megabit. I'm trying to, I'm trying to stream Lou later right now. These episodes. Well, it's one hour long. How did... Come on. Come on, Lou. That's what the Clips channel's for. Jeez. Still one or two comments like this all the time. One hour long. What do you think, Lou? I'm not... Uh, i got things to do here. Uh, I don't want... <laughs> I don't know whose it is. It's somebody's voice. That's what the Clips channel is for. Willie do shout out. Later Clips... Yes, it's an official channel. I should tell people this as well. It's an official channel. It's not a knockoff. No one's ripping the content. It's an official channel for the clips. If you don't have an hour, you could watch the show clipped up into like 
four-minute segments for each section. Anyway, so uh, for those of you that are short on bandwidth in the UK, you're now going to get guaranteed speeds of 10 megabit per second down and 1 megabit per second up. And it has to be 45 pounds per month or lower. Again, this is, uh, this is from the government, essentially. And if, uh, if the telco can't do it or if it's going to be expensive to run it out to your remote location then uh, the eligible homes will be paid up to 3400 pounds to you know to get those connections in there so they're bringing people online this is a good thing i mean it's hard to figure out like where it's worth it uk is a pretty small country ge geographically speaking canada bananas like what <laughs> if you're out in the middle of nowhere canada like you might be really you might be off the grid the uk less so obviously but there, there have been some studies that I've seen w which seem to indicate that if you bring more people online, economic situations get better because options for people get better. Research gets better. They can interact with the economy in different ways, even remotely, just through that access. So this might cost a few bucks in the beginning. You can imagine run, getting, these, getting these wires out to these places. But in the long run access appears to be a good thing so it's gonna it, whether or not this would work in your country has a lot to do with geography has a lot to do with the scale and the scope of it and also what's already available to you because like i said i think a lot of people that watch this show here are probably laughing at 10 megabit connection you know there's people that are laughing at 100 megabit connections depending on where they're located i talk to people in latvia you, you didn't know that. I talk to people in Latvia. I check in. I talk to people in Norway. I talk to people in Finland. I talk to people in Korea. Yes, right. I talk, I talk to them, Will. And you know what I hear? Great connections. And they're like, you know, you get to Korea, for example. They're like, I pay $9 a month for a gigabit connection. You know, it's crazy what's out there. We're lagging in certain departments. You're bringing up Google Stadia now because, for example, the top tier Google Stadia, 4K gaming, game streaming. It, got, gonna, uh, it got bumped up to 35 megabytes. Megabits. Megabits, yeah. yeah. It used to be 25. Yeah, you got to get that 5.1 audio. Uh, you got to get that 60 FPS. And you got to get the 4K res, so it's understandable. 35 megabit per second connection necessary. So these people on the outskirts in the UK, they're still not picking up premium Stadia. But if you look, the recommended minimum for 1080 or for 720p, sorry, gaming, 60 FPS is 10 megabit. So they can they can participate still. 10 megabit seems to be some sort of cutoff. Now maybe you're in another part of the world where you're like, man, I wish I had 10 megabit. Mm. That's possible too. So interesting stuff. The world moves forward. The world moves on. Connectivity, it's key. Let's stay connected. Well, all right. Sound like a telco commercial right now. Let's stay connected. Man jailed for not unlocking iPhone adds fuel to device search warrant debate. This is on Apple Insider. Guy in Florida. 
thrown in jail 44 days for refusing to unlock two iPhones in his possession during a traffic stop. So you probably didn't know that was the case, Will. You, you probably thought you were just going to be in Florida in your shorts with your flip-flops. And, Eating some and, alligators. Yeah, and you thought you're going to get pulled over and you're going to be like, excuse me, sir, you don't have a warrant for this, dude. Uh, you see my surfboard? And then they're like, okay, go to jail then. I'm like, oh. And you're like, you're like I got rights, dude. Can't you see my rights? They beat me with a surfboard? Yeah, apparently. And you go to jail for 44 days. So don't pull that in Florida. They're not messing around right now, okay? They don't care about that you saw a documentary that you watched Making a Murderer. They don't care that you watched that. And you're like, I know my, you know, my rights. Got a lawyer. This one got Jack's attention. He just leaned over. He just leaned over to look in. He got 44 days in jail. Now, I should say, this is the real story. This is what went down. He, uh, he was in possession. He was in possession, Will, of uh, some plants, mm. some illegal plants. And, and he also had, a, he had a, a firearm in the glove box. He had some oil. And during the, the stop, the traffic stop, he got pinged on the phone, one of the phones, and there was a the text message that came through was OMG, all caps, did they find it? <laughs> During the traffic stop. So if you're a police officer and you see this text come in, you're like, hey, man, unlock the phone. What are you hiding? Like, is the, what's in here that I didn't find yet? Like, let's make, make my life a little easier. Of course, he says, I'm not unlocking it. I'm Willie Do. I got rights. Check the surfboard, right? And he said, okay, fine. Let's go down to the precinct. Don't you love that word precinct? Well, mm. you see, that's every comic book. That's every uh, Marvel, uh, Spider-Man uh, precinct. You go down to the precinct. Anyway, he, uh, yeah, so he ends up serving 44 days in jail in a second spell he was there for 44, and the charges were relating to the oil and the firearm, which were then eventually dropped, as well as the contempt order. Now, the contempt order was the thing, was the consequence for not unlocking the phones, but it brings into, the, into question this, the debate. There's, there's a debate going on whether or not what your rights are, do you have to unlock, and so forth. Do they have to get a warrant? Should they be allowed at all? And there's been some... Like, this, this is kind of a funny case, but you can imagine in a much darker, more grim scenario where you could actually solve something or help someone. Like, say, for example, some, you know, a kidnapping or an assault of some kind, and, 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 and the evidence is in the phone. Imagine how frustrated you would be as a police officer that you know you could change an outcome if you could just get in the phone, but you don't have the right to do so. Uh so it is an argument. It is a thing that's going on. Obviously, you would like to know how and when the unlock is available and required. Uh, of course, that there was that device that came out at one point. The, the thing that could unlock any iPhone was called Gray Key, and it was a tool, but it's expensive. It's a license that every individual police department has to hold themselves. 
in order to uh, unlock the device. And a lot of them just don't have it or don't have the budget for it. It's like, a, I, don't, I don't remember what the cost was, but it's, it's sort of cost prohibitive. It's thousands of dollars for this license. The box is 15 grand, but I think you're still, I think the 30 grand for a different model with internet connectivity. I mean, that was in 2018. Look, and oh, that only gives you 300 unlocks. So like it's, yeah, it's cost prohibitive, uh, particularly for a small police department, especially when they could just go get a warrant from a judge for nothing and force you to unlock it or do prison time. So um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a couple of precedents in place that, uh, ha that exist to kind of support the idea that, that the unlock should take place. But then on the flip side, there's other ones that, where the argument takes place. So I don't know where you guys stand. I'm like, it probably does depend on the offense. What are you being accused of? What is the evidence? And then uh, you go from there, whether or not it should be unlocked. But you know, Will, when the biometric stuff started with the face unlock, for example, it got a little bit squirrely because it's like, if he had face unlock enabled, like let's say he had a newer iPhone, they could just point it at him and That's swipe true. up in the back of the cruiser. He was trying to hide his face or whatever. So... It's a bit of an odd, it's a weird zone. Same with fingerprint. If he was biometric, couldn't they just hold his thumb on it? I don't know. Like these are weird. It's a weird, it's a gray zone, which is probably why that guy's thing is called gray key. I, you know what? I feel like we got a package called gray key just today. What? I honestly feel like we- Is this we a live one. adjustment? Can we send Jack to take a look? Literally Sorry there. to bother you, Jack. Sorry to inconvenience you. I know you're real comfy over there. <laughs> but <laughs> is this true, Will? I, I feel I, like I feel like I did saw. Did you a just want to watch Ricky. Jack march around right now? I just there's oh. no way they sent us. These things are 30 grand, 15 grand. I might be I think you're wrong. way off on this. It could this, be Will, like a phone case or something. I don't know. It could be cool. If you're out there, Mr. Gray Key, whoever uh, if you want some uh promotion or like you want you want your uh, product to be publicized? Send it to us. I want to test it out. It would be cool. We could just unlock no, no, no. somebody's phone with the uh, with the hardcore police grade unlock tool. That could be kind of cool. It's all right, Will. We're gonna look off air. We're gonna figure it out so later. So what happened to this guy? Like, he did forty four days in prison. Did he have to unlock his phone, or did he just like no? Walk they out? they 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 dropped it after after serving forty four days. They dropped it because okay. the forty the, the forty four days served acts as like a, a certain punishment while you're awaiting your uh, your eventual uh, sentencing, I suppose. And so he did he did have he did end up with some degree of punishment for the other things, the other offenses. Right, the possession and the the firearm, but I don't think he ever ended up unlocking it. Based on this uh, this article right here, he just. But forty four days in prison, Will is like that's no fun anyway. No, <laughs> like that's know. a that is a punishment in and of itself. I don't know if you've ever done time, but no. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very uh, personal question to ask. But I'm confident I didn't. Do uh, I don't. I know he was there for me. Have I done time? I don't. Uh. There was that one morning where I woke up on a on a concrete slab. Not <laughs> sure how I got open. there. Yeah. yeah. Well, Will used to party in a different life. Uh, yeah. Earlier time. This was before Otis, obviously. Mm -hmm. He's got responsibilities now, and so nah. uh, 
And let me ask you something, Will. This is you. Are you unlocking the phone? Had You're I known to be doing 44 days or? I'm, I'm saying you get pulled over. You're in possession of plants. That, I mean, here in, in Canada, you can have whatever plants yeah. you want for the most part in Toronto at the moment. But let's say you couldn't have those plants. They were in the car. You got the firearm. I mean, this is obviously not you. Mm -hmm. But like, are you unlocking the phone? Are you just like, oh God, all right, unlock it. Or are you like, this is, I'm going down for this one. This is my right. Um, I, <laughs> I try to be a man of principle. But if it's not a big deal, like the, I know what the message is, like what the conversation is. Yeah, why not? Okay. Unless it's something like really bad. So, so do you have it. any conversations currently in your instant messages, DMs, texts that like everybody could read? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, no. exactly. You don't. But if it's the cops, it's like, uh, I don't no, know, man. It's... You got some. You got some weird stuff in there, dude. <laughs> I do. See, I, but I mean, the cops, if they like look at it, I, I wouldn't be uh, offended or. You know. All right. Well, I guess we're doing that on the next episode. <laughs> Willie Do's messages. Read we're the, my chats. We're the cops getting the gray tool, gray key, whatever it's called. Uh, last one for me here. Did you know, Will, that seniors scams are on the rise? Fraudsters deploy new tactics and technologies. They're using technology to scam seniors out of money, and it's getting worse. And I'm not happy about it, to be quite honest. This is from Boston Globe. And basically what's going on is people are calling up old, you know, young people are calling up old people, telling them they need their social security number, telling them they need money, they're in trouble. Some of them are claiming to be uh, their grandchildren. They're claiming to be their grandchildren in trouble. I don't know if you could believe this. Well, and they say part of the reason that seniors are such a target is because they're lonely, Jack. You know, because they're waiting for a phone call that, like, they feel like when the phone call comes through, they don't want to let it go. They're, like, they almost want to believe it to a certain degree that someone has reached out to them, that someone's trying to help them. They love the idea, so they go along with it. And it's not just over the phone. It happens in the email also. So there's a couple of different scams that go on here. One of them, like, a Bank of America scam. They send you the original email, like, there's a problem with your account. We need to get we need to get some new details from you until they eventually get to the point of uh, you know getting the cash from you. They're targeting specifically the population over 65 years because they're the most susceptible. Most of it is the robocall stuff. So it's you know it's sending out these these boatload of calls and then a human's only coming on the line once somebody picks it up and uh, the number of robocalls jumped from 29 billion to 48 billion in the past two years. You, 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 do you, can you get a sense for the scale of that? The number of calls going out, 29 billion up to 48 billion. I mean, this thing almost doubled in two years and the, the scale of it is bananas on its own. 40, 48 billion? What are we doing? Then 
in, in terms of uh, the reports for the fraud, it climbed from 325,000 people reporting having been defrauded of their money in 2001 to 3 million people last year. So 10X on that front. I'm on Boston Globe where, where it was reported, which is, yeah. This one? It's uh, the name of the article is senior scams proliferate as fraudsters deploy new tactics and technologies. And uh, so 10X, you go up 10X from 2001 to now on the number of reports, but they think it's actually even bigger because a lot of people are so embarrassed when they get defrauded that they don't even report it. They're just too embarrassed to report that they got scammed out of their money. Financial losses totaled 1.48 billion in 2018 and victims over 70 years old lose much more money on average. They're uh, more susceptible. So there's a graph on the page if you scroll down, Will. It showcases how the average fraud case for someone who's over 80 years old is substantially bigger than somebody that's younger. Even if you're 70 to 79, you're still you know, far less likely to be defrauded out of a big amount of money, 80 plus, 1,700 bucks, which is a lot of money for somebody mm -hmm. that's that old. Like this whole thing is very rude. Yeah, this is like depressing to hear. It's, it's like, they're not hurting anyone. They're just like living their life and just relaxing. And then all of a sudden they just get scammed. Big time. It's, uh, it, it showcases kind of, I mean, it's obviously younger people doing this. It ain't old people scamming old people. It's younger people doing this. They know they, they have an advantage over these people. And look, man, I at some point you decide this is the avenue you want to go down. Like, it's a lot. It's a huge scale now. This isn't like one, one person stealing a purse. When you're talking about billions of calls going out, this is an enterprise now. This is, you're talking about $1.5 billion defrauded in uh, 2018. You're talking about an industry. This is industry scale now. Yeah, I feel like there should be a startup for this to counteract these scams. Some sort of like phone filter or something, you know? Well, yeah, Speed some calls, uh, maybe an app on your phone. Like we've seen certain phones that are able to identify uh, and certain apps actually that are able to identify calls that it, that might be problematic or might be associated with fraud or scams. Uh, pixel pixel call screen feature. Of course, these guys, they keep trying to uh, modernize their approach as well in spoofing the numbers that 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 they're using so they can they can make it look like the call came from a number that it didn't uh now within this article they caught this one guy for example he was standing in a in a supermarket trying to trying to spend twenty five hundred dollars on gift cards listen to this okay Last month, a pair of Swamp Scott police officers were dispatched to a local stop and shop to rescue an older man. The man was rattled, 
A stranger had called to warn that his social security number was compromised and he needed to pay $2,500 to protect his identity. The man had withdrawn the money from a nearby bank and was trying to convert it into gift cards as the caller instructed. A watchful supermarket manager alerted the police. So this person is on the phone the whole time, this scam artist on the phone the whole time saying, get this money, convert it into gift cards. Eventually, I assume wanting to come collect it or have it delivered to him for 2,500 bucks, man. It's, it's gross, to be honest, it's gross. And part of the reason I put this story in is because I feel like this audience here, we have, we have grandparents, right? We have older people in our lives. We have the people in our lives that are the potential targets for this stuff. And by putting this story out to this audience, they can have the conversation at least. They can say, hey, look, they can go to their grandparents or their parents possibly, and say, this is how it goes down. This is the scale of it. Uh, next time, if somebody calls you with anything like this, call me directly. Make themselves accessible, right? I, I, it seems like an old-fashioned approach. I mean, you're saying a startup needs to figure it out. That'd be nice as well. But I think, you know, it's tough in this case where the group that's being targeted is so old to begin with. Like, they're over 80, Will, the ones who are getting hit the hardest. So are they going to even find out about this startup? Are they going to install an app on their phone? Like, it's probably not going to happen. So it's got to come from a place that they trust. And those people might be in this audience. So you have the conversation because it's obviously working for these scammers. And they're going to keep doing it so long as it keeps working. So uh, get on the phone. Call your granny right now after this is over. Call your granny and tell them uh, you're on patrol for them. And if anybody wants personal info from them or money from them or anything like that to call you because it's probably a scam and these dudes are being way too successful and I'm not happy about it. So anyway, that's it for me. You got a story you want to talk about, Will? Yeah, just a quick one. Quick one. Have you heard about uh, Walmart employees uh, are having tension with Walmart robots? <laughs> no, I haven't seen this. So I think this happened in the States where um, a couple of Walmart um, stores are employing these six feet robots and they're responsible for checking items on the aisles, uh, cleaning the floors and stuff. And wow, apparently a lot of, uh, employees don't like them because, uh, these, uh, these robots are being named like real names, like Freddie. And, uh, <laughs> this one's kind of funny. Like it actually, some of them startle them because the robots actually come from behind it. <laughs> and like just freak them out they're so quiet <laughs> and the fact that you know it's automated but um apparently this automation it's it's doing really well for these walmart stores hmm. so i think this i mean this type of this type of thing is cool to me i don't work in the store and he you know this robot is not creeping up on me but Man, that's efficient, I guess. If it, if it's wor it must be working. I mean, these have to be expensive. There's, I mean, Walmart's not putting them in if if they're not going to improve the situation or, or work efficiently. But then that said, up there, employees are saying generally they feel uneasy and aren't sure how to act around the robots, which they say are glitchy. Well, wouldn't you do that though, Will? If you were a worker in there, yeah. you'd be like. Man, that robot, that's just a glitchy robot. Like, that robot can't replace me. Uh, 
What are you doing, Freddie? I mean, look, Will, we talked about this before. We're all getting replaced. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be Lil Michaela soon mm -hmm. on this show. With the skirt at Coachella. Yeah, I'm going to be way better looking, to, you know, way better to look at. Like, who wants to look at this? Who wants to listen to this? You know what I mean? Uh, I could have a sensual voice, uh, a pleasing appearance. And, uh, and, and I'll be so smart, the AI version of me, well, it won't be me, but like the AI replacement for me is going to be so smart, it's going to have a customized message and delivery and accent for each one. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I wouldn't even be here. You? God, no. <laughs> I'll be long gone. You're, you'll be where Jack's sitting right now. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Sure, bud. <laughs> anyway yeah it's creepy it's gonna be a transition period uh, what do you think about the shape of it will are you cool with that yeah i, I don't mind this i don't he honest, looks, honestly it looks kind of friendly to me the way they did yeah. it like so for those that are just listening to this it's a stubby little looking guy looks like a floor cleaner sort of looks like a bucket and he's got an arm that goes up now apparently he's six feet tall because he's got to scan the whole shelf yep but uh, you know what? I've seen scarier robots. I've mentioned this in the past. Boston Dynamics, all those wild creatures are way scarier than this guy. This guy, what's he going to do? He just scans the shelf. Leave him alone. This guy, on the other hand. Apparently, uh, you could buy one of these very soon. Okay, fine. Let's do it. Uh, what is his name again? Spot. Oh. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't care about you, Will. And, uh, Look at this moves. action shot. <laughs> That's Atlas. Yeah, they've, I mean, they've done some really cool ones. Actually, if you click on that uh, picture to the left over there, evolution of Boston Diamp. Yeah, you can see Atlas, Spot, Big Dog. Big Dog is the scariest still. Big Dog by far the scariest. The original Big Dog clip came out with the audio buzzing, like, I'm pretty sure that's what they based that one episode of Black Mirror on. It had to be... Oh, look how nasty Big Dog is. Look how nasty Big Dog is. Woo-wee! Yeah. He doesn't care about you, Will. Guy like you? You know what he does to a guy like you? Oh. Yeah, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. In the woods? Oh. In the woods. He takes a guy like you. He does, uh, well, he does things we can't mention on here. Mm. Guy like him, guy like you. So... Yeah, that's this clip. He just has to fast forward. He, he, he tries oh, to kick it. This is in. the moment. Look at him. Look at him. Oh, you want to kick me? Oh, you didn't realize. I know I'm heavy, but I also am smart, and I'll, uh, I'll fix myself up. Now, keep in mind, look at Can't even slip. This big dog, this clip now, aged. <laughs> this is from 2010. They were doing big dog in 2010. Like I, I don't remember it being that long ago, but... Goes to show you how far it's come. Click on the Boston Dynamics logo there. And uh, yeah, right there. And uh, let's see the latest. Because we're, we're in 2019, man. Like, I think they actually made it a little more friendly now from where they were with Spot. Spot, yeah, this is, who is this? Spot Mini? What do they call him? Spot Power? Spot I don't know. Power. Anyway, he's, uh, he's yellow now. Looks shorter bit friendlier but i'm telling you the way those movements come i mean you can just oh wow 
wow, that video just did a turn. That video just did a 180. How about that twist at the end when it's just pull, they're just pulling a giant truck, a bunch of spot minis pulling a giant truck? What a twist. Anyway, it's all happening. It's going down. Go look at the uh, Atlas on the far right, 34 seconds there. Yeah, look. No, no, no. One more over. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, hey. You don't, like, even, you don't even run that well, Will. It's like a brisk jog. You don't even run like that. <laughs> right beside the neighborhood. No, you don't even run like that, Will. This guy looks like he's a, you know, he's a regular cross-country type of guy. Ivy League. He's Dragging got the outfit the on. Woods. Oh, what? A log? No big deal. See ya. <laughs> yeah. He just jumped over a log. So, I mean, it's incredible. It's wonderful. What a time to be alive, Will. They almost got us out of here without it. What a time to be alive. Boston Dynamics, robots, Walmart, scanning. We can only take one question today, Will. So, right. so bring your A game. Bring the best one. You've talked about music briefly in a few episodes, and I want to hear your personal music history. What music did you grow up on? What music do you listen to now? You've played some great tunes while testing speakers by artists like Thieves. Thanks again. Ah. Uh, Music, for me, I mean, I was always into it. I didn't start playing it until probably, I don't know, maybe halfway through grade school. I got a guitar, electric guitar, started to mess with it. Never formally, never took lessons or anything like that. Just goofed, just goofed with it, you know. And uh, learned, a, you know, you would learn a few tracks. You would just try to play stuff. I well, Back then, I, I was playing like, Green Day. I mean, who didn't play Green Day? Uh, uh, some Nirvana, like a little bit of that. And then I just would goof on it like in my own way. And then at some point along the way, I got into music production software. Like a lot of other things I was experimenting with. I believe this the piece of software is called, like, because I didn't have the budget for the Logic or Cubase or uh, Pro Tools. Like, I didn't have any of that. I had, it was like a free software that came with this pre-built computer. I believe it was called Music Match. See if you can find this. We're going down memory lane real quick. Just do Music Match Jukebox. Music Match ju Jukebox. Do that. No, no, that's not it. That's not it. That can't be it. It, no. No, that can't be it. Because that ain't, that ain't right. No, it wasn't Music Match. Maybe it was. Damn, what is that down there? This looks like a player, this though. One? This doesn't look like production stuff. Click on that. Click on that. Ooh, maybe. No, that's just a... You just play music in there. Huh. Maybe it wasn't Music Match Jukebox. I don't remember. Look, I'm going back, guys. Give me a break, okay? Please. It looks like they still make it or something. This is weird. Yeah, it looks like a player. That's not it. I got it messed up. I must have had that as well. I can't remember what the what the software was called. It was some early, early production software. Anyhow, eventually, I had like this little room in the basement of my parents' house. And it was the grimiest, unfinished basement. You know, studs on the wall, insulation falling off. You're going to find a picture of grimy basement. You know, I had the posters on the wall. Yeah, that was it. That's where I was working out of. And I had a tower computer, you know, like some nothing too fancy or powerful, some garbage computer speakers. Do you remember those? what computer speakers used to look like? Come on, like look up the classic computer speakers with like the tan 
color, you know, the beige electronics color that no longer exists, that everything was. No, 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 no. Everything looks good now. No, Will. Over on the right. Go to the right. This one. Yeah. Something like this. Exactly. No, go. I want you to go to the ones beside the view more button. Beside to the left of the view more button. Keep going. Go to the right. See where it says view more? To the left. Oh, good Lord. This one? No, you missed it, man. It's over. To the left. Yeah. Yeah. I had these ones. I had them too. That's what you got, man. That's all you got. That's what you had. So I had the grimy music production software. I tried to get the beat on there. And then that's when I got into rapping. That's when I got into hip hop. And because I feel like once you start into the music production, it's like, well, somebody has to say something probably in the music. And it's like, what are you doing? You're singing now? Huh? Oh, you're, oh, you're, you got a band now. So it was just easier to get an instrumental and do. And plus I was into hip hop at the time. So that was, that's kind of where my head went. And then I was lucky enough. My parents were really supportive of anything I was trying to do. And so at a certain point they saw that I was really into it. So I got a little bit more gear and eventually I had like a sort of almost like a little studio setup. And I did some of my own stuff and I also did uh, produce some bands. And it was like, it was a part of my thing. And funny enough, I feel like that experience, diving so deeply into that experience kind of primed me in a way for eventually being on YouTube and doing videos and just making more stuff. Cause I was in that mind state from a young age forward even though it started out in music in that grimy basement, I feel like getting used to the idea of software, music editing software first, it tuned me up for eventual video editing and just the idea of making things. And so I'm really grateful for that whole thing. I feel like it's all played a part in leading to this, this whole situation. Uh, as In terms of music that I'm into, it's a, it's a lot. I, I really don't discriminate in that department. The only thing I would say I'm not into is like pop music because you just brought up Ariana Grande to basically debunk what I just said. No, I, I'm not into apologize Ariana Grande. It's just, it's, that's not my thing really. Uh, you can zoom in all you want, Will. It's not gonna, it's, that's not gonna change the situation here. Basically, I'm not into pop music, but everything else, I, I got a lot of appreciation. I try to put the appreciation out there. It's hard to make stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that I like, but in my teenage years, it was a lot of, so like later grade school was alternative music, smashing pumpkins kind of stuff. You know, uh, like I mentioned Nirvana, Green Day, like that kind of a thing, skateboards, like that, that went on. Then that transition to hip hop for high school, essentially the hip hop phase. And then as a mature adult, it's just a lot of appreciation spread out. I can still listen to Wu-Tang and enjoy myself, or it could be some jazz. Or, I mean, you guys have been hearing the playlist over here, Pink Floyd. It doesn't, it's, uh, why should we have to be so regimented, so specific in that space? Uh, I feel like these things, there's a lot of shared, a lot of overlap, surprisingly, for, in musical inspiration. I think people draw from a lot of different places. Um, so, anyhow. Led Zeppelin, you, you, Will has to bring up Led Zeppelin because if we talk about music without mentioning Led Zeppelin, then Jack gets really moody. So we got to, 
See, he's a, he, he just got fired up. He, his head, he was looking at his laptop. Now he's looking at these guys. He's very into it. So Led Zeppelin, you know, uh, I, it's good. It's good stuff. But, uh, you know, I'll take Pink Floyd over Led Zeppelin. Myself. Myself. Feels a bit more experimental, you know. This is more rock, you know, straight up. But, for it, you know, that's a, that's a mood in and of itself. That's a feel-good kind of energetic. I mean, a lot of stuff doesn't happen without them afterwards. That's for certain. Historically speaking, that brought a certain aggressiveness. It brought a certain electrification. Um, so anyhow, what a time to be alive, Willie Do. It's, uh, we're here. We're sitting here. And stuff is happening. And it could have gone a lot of ways prior to now, but it went this way. And you're battling. You know, you, the allergies, mm -hmm. they're trying to take you down. But you know what? You said no thank you. Not today. Not today. You, you, you got the tissue box, which we're okay with. But the allergies, they try to keep you off the show. Yeah. They try to tell you, hey, man, stay in bed right now. Yeah. Hey, man, today's your day. You get to lie down. You don't have to go listen to that guy. Garbage. Yeah. And you know what you said? You said, no, thank you. Today's game day. Right? Yeah, it is game day. It's game day. And let me tell you something. For the record, a lot of people talking about injuries right now in the NBA. A lot of people talking Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant. What you think? You think nobody on the Raptors is sore right now? Just because they're not talking about it? Lowry's gonna have he's gonna have surgery in the offseason on his thumb. Kawhi, you know he's been through it playing record minutes. You know what they did, Will? They had that same feeling in that bed. In the morning, they had that exact same feeling. Nah, just stay down. They don't, you know, it's all about you right now. Just take a rest. Get better. Free agency. Sign a deal. You don't have to get out there. You know what they said? Nah, no, thank you. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is that you overcoming these allergies today is basically the same. It's basically what Kawhi Leonard's been doing. It's on the same level. I think everyone here would agree. All right. Base, basically, you're the MVP around here at the moment, and you're on your way to the championship as far as I'm concerned. So on that note, you can cut it, Kirk. Go Raptors. Go Raps.